When we are presented with fear and self-doubt, how do we overcome these challenges to be an effective leader? This week's guest, Sarah Johnson, shares how she fought through isolation and provides a practical framework to break through self-doubt and insecurity. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Joshua, I'm so thrilled to be here. I am a longtime listener, first-time caller. (laughs) And Sarah, we've known each other for a long time, and it is an honor to have you on the show. It's been a long time waiting, and as you know, the show is centered on leadership development, and today I would love to hear about your leadership journey and how you became a principal. I love this story because I think it's not as common for a lot of people as it was for me, but I actually wanted to be a principal before I became a teacher. I started leadership early. I don't want to go too far back, but I'm the youngest of seven kids. And honestly, I think I joke a lot. Like I should, they should be bailing me out of jail if you look at birth order. But instead I, I realize now through some reflection that I gained a lot of my leadership skills kind of through childhood because of the fact that of that birth order, I was, I spent a lot of time taking care of small children and growing independence and autonomy and early. And I just always thrived. I loved taking on leadership roles. I started working when I was 14 and they made me a manager within a year or two. So just, I think it's always kind of been in my blood to lead. And when I was an undergrad, my husband had graduated. He's, I'm married to a teacher. And at the time we weren't married, but he got his teaching degree and they had a young woman that they were honoring as the youngest female principal in the state of Wisconsin. And I thought, I'm going to be that. That's me. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's just the first defining moment. I remember thinking like, I want to be a principal. So I mean, I definitely completed my bachelor's and my undergrad knowing that I'd be taking that step. And I was so fortunate because I got hired in a small district. I am located in Northwestern Wisconsin, and this is a area that I didn't even I didn't even driven through Joshua. I had never heard of the town and I was so tiny, but I was hired as what they called the, um, uh, district. I suppose it was a writing coach at the time, but I I taught grades six through 12 English on a cart. I didn't even have my own classroom. And I ran as a 22 year old, all of the in-services just by that. Yeah. So, I mean, we were tiny and you just had to have all hands on deck. And so I was fortunate that all of those eight wonderful years that I spent in the classroom, I was also serving at a district level role in some capacity, whether it was a curriculum coordinator, a school improvement facilitator. And I got my principal license in 2007 in short order after, you know, I started teaching um, 2003, I think. And yeah, then I started my first principalship about four years later. So you went directly from a teacher to a principal? I did. I spent, well, like I said, I spent eight years teaching and then I did a lot of district level roles. And so just really fortunate to work in a tiny district where they need that. And, but yeah, I did. And the funny part is I was a high school English teacher and I cut my teeth really hard becoming an elementary principal for the first (laughs) gig. So, oh man, I have so much respect for the learning at different ages and stages. And I've actually been able to serve Joshua at all levels. So I've been a middle school principal and a high school. And it's been awesome. So a lot of times with those who are looking to advance as a teacher to an administrative position, they don't always have a resource on their campus to help them develop. Did you have a resource or a mentor that you had at your campus that helped you get to the next level? I'm kind of chuckling because I absolutely did. The superintendent that hired me was amazing. And in fact, I just talked to him today and I was sharing this with him. I I remember I was going through my 
program. Like I said, I already knew I wanted to be a principal and he just saw that. And he was like, yeah, let's go giddy up. I'm going to help her. Right. So I'd find little printouts for superintendent programs in my mailbox after I finished my master's. And it was just kind of one of those things where he just gave me a lot of autonomy and, and trusted me a lot. And in the same breath too, the principal I worked with, same thing. Like if you can imagine, you know, allowing building leadership teams to kind of be run and led by a teacher leader, that takes a lot of trust on his part. So I would say, absolutely. I grew up with, I would say seven good years of strong mentorship. And I'm very grateful for that. And what were some steps that you chose to take part in to kind of help your leadership development? Everything possible. You know, I'd say, uh, I know that a lot of your listeners are maybe teachers that are thinking about what they could do to develop their leadership. And I, you know, coaching is a big thing, but if you're not into coaching, then, you know, running a program of any sort, get your hands in leading some curriculum development initiatives. Uh, I actually, one of the things I did was student council, um, advisor, but then I also, I, I help fundraise in our district, uh, with a, we had 80% free and reduced population, if you can imagine. And we were constantly fundraising, but the big thing was that I planned overseas trips to Europe for six years straight. I felt like I was never done fundraising, but every other year, uh, the kids would head over to England. And so, I mean, at 26, I had a group of 30 people I was in charge of from start to finish and creating a vision of, of traveling and working on budgets and figuring out all of the different things that, that take to manage. So I would say that even if you can't find yourself in a, a formalized titled role, you can always seek out opportunities to lead and grow. And man, if you're looking to do like the principalship, managing people is huge, learning how to work with adults. And that's a huge transition going from a teacher to a principal. So what was some of the, your largest struggles getting into your new role? <laughs> well, I was a person who had a hard time saying no. Um, you know, as you can imagine, as I described, I had just a lot of different hats that I had as a teacher. And I think the hard part for me was learning what I needed to let go of. And I think that's a common struggle, delegation for leaders. You know, when you're so used to the one doing, doing, doing. And, and, it, and we actually write about this in Balance Like a Pirate is this idea of a firefighter versus a fire chief. Mm -hmm. And just gaining the skills of being able to know your role as the fire chief that you stay out of that fire for the good of everybody, you know, and making sure that you're, you have people in the right places skilled and taking care of one another. And I struggled, I think right away, it wasn't a trust factor. It was more like I thought I was supposed to do all the things. And so I struggled making sure that I had uh, people who I was helping become autonomous to, you know, how to, how do you put your hands out to give away authority when you can never really release responsibility is, yeah. was kind of a consistent challenge for me. Yeah. Especially when you're in a role where all eyes are on you at all times and everything lands at your feet. Hardcore. So, yeah. I always love providing our aspiring leaders with initiatives that principals have taken on themselves. Was there anything at one of your campuses that you constructed that you're really proud of? Oh my goodness. I feel like there's so many, actually one that I am, and I'm curious actually, now that I said it to know if it's still in place, but one of the universal struggles we had when I was a high school principal is just trying to find out how to create support for learners with varied needs. Right. And, and there's just the, the scheduling in a high school is so rigid and that becomes such a hard thing when you're trying to get past that factory model of education, but you're trying to do something innovative. Yeah. And one of the things that I love that we did is we had this common time, which I think is very common for high school that they have like a study hall. And, you know, we played around with where it belonged, you know, <laughs> 
such a universal struggle. Are we going to do it in the morning, afternoon? What's best for our learners? Look at all the data. What I loved, what we ended up having was something called, uh, it was Rails time because the mascot that I worked with was the Rails. And we had a flex, flexible scheduling system so that we could allow student choice. And I just was so proud of that. I loved it. It took us some time to get some kinks worked out, but man, it gave us opportunity for the students who needed the extra supports to have that. And then it provided choice for the students who didn't need that study hall time, but it was, we had quiet spaces for students who did, and we had enrichment. And man, I'm, I'm super proud that we got that puzzle figured out. And I love that model. Mm-hmm. You are a wife, you're a mother, you were a principal, mm-hmm. and you are someone who believes in balancing all of those things. And that's one of the reasons I've always been drawn to you because you have this holistic view of not just being a, an administrator, but as a person and, and trying to make sure that your attention is going to all three components. So you were the co-author of Balance Like a Pirate, and I was just wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing what that book is all about. <laughs> so in a snapshot, that book came about because the three of us, Jessica Johnson, Kabine, and I were all universally struggling with that balance. And, you know, I think for those of us that tend to the workaholic, um, it's real easy to let work eat up our the rest of our lives, right? And so we were holding one another accountable in the best ways we could. So we came up with a framework. Um, it's really about going beyond balance because we believe that balance is a myth. You can't do 50-50. And if you keep trying to chase that, you're just going to feel really unsatisfied with your life. Um, you know, there's there's different ways to look at that. It's more about centering. It's about, I know I've heard the term life fit. My friend Jimmy Casas uses that. And uh, so we look at balance as like a framework in the four key areas of your life. You look at your professional life. You always want to keep growing, networking, you know, contributing. Positional is uh, the other P, which is your, you know, it's your, how you pay the bills and it's that time management and energy management and productivity. And how can you be your best in that role is your personal life. And that is actually a lot. So that's our wellness and our health and our mind and our body and our spirit and our relationships. And then we have our passions. That one is so it's too easy to forget about. And uh, as I've been working with, you know, professionals and people for the last year intensely with this model, it's where we've kind of lost it. Like the, the light in us is out. We don't focus on our passions anymore because we're so busy pouring into all those other roles. So that book is just really about trying to help people gain back intentional focus in all areas of their full life. And, and it's not to say they have to be 25% in those four quadrants. It's just like, Hey, don't, don't forget that at one point you really, really love to read for pleasure instead of reading all those leadership development books, (laughs) you know, and how can you take hold intentionally of your life and build it back in? You know, for me, it came at a crisis, Joshua, because you asked like, what was one of the hardest things getting into leadership? And I confused servant leadership with martyrdom and I started to completely lose my identity. And so that really for me was a huge pain point that helped me. And that's why I love that message so much because I feel like I can help people to not do the same thing to themselves. And your journey hasn't ended yet. You are no longer a principal. So what is it that you're doing at this point in your career? That's a hard 30 second commercial. I'm finding myself leading in new ways. So yes, I spend a lot of time speaking to organizations about that going beyond balance message. And I'm exceptionally passionate about it. I've got the podcast, the in podcast, and I amplify women and I love that uh, arena. And I also teach courses for a university here in Wisconsin for educational leadership development. I supervise student teachers and I just 
published another book on leadership, which I intend to continue to serve with that message and called Lead with Faith. And it's really a framework. It's an acronym, uh, just trying to help us kind of get back in touch with our leadership identity as individuals and so that we can be more courageous in our leadership. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, for now, I miss the principalship, but this is my opportunity to help other leaders kind of become the best versions of themselves. And I want to touch on one of your passions, which is your podcast. You started Mm -hmm. the In Awe podcast, and I just wanted to know kind of what led you to that project and where are you going as far as your your direction? So if you'll let me, Joshua, anything I do these days is led really by my spiritual faith and that, you know, I left the principalship because of that. And I did not want to, in fact, I was in a really good spot in my career. The disruption that I had experienced was over. I was coming into a space where there was a lot of comfort and it was a really good spot. And so it shocked the local community when I resigned, but it was really a faith driven thing. And so the in awe podcast is the same. It's just using my skills, um, my gifts, but more so to amplify and serve others. And so I, as a woman in leadership, I love the idea that I can create space at the table instead of looking around and seeing that there's 25%, you know, women in the superintendent level at the secondary level, uh, 50% at the elementary for principalships, but looking around and seeing that there aren't as many female keynotes or whatever that happens to be. Those are some of the feelings I was feeling as, you know, I was one of nine principals in my conference. So the only female, um, where I live, there's uh, 7% are females at the superintendent level. Wow. So my world is very, that's kind of the lens I'm coming from. And I thought, I'm going to make the space. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to do something about it. And I absolutely love amplifying women and men. Everybody listens to the podcast. They oh, yeah. love me. It's good. It is good. So. Yeah. In leadership, you are correct. It is definitely swayed one way. Whereas I feel like the, the teacher role, the pendulum has swung the other way. But I, it is. So I just love the fact that you are seeing a, a problem and you are doing something about it. That's amazing. But I want to talk too about your new book because it is Lead with Faith. And I feel like you definitely jumped out in your own faith and, and shared and were very vulnerable in this book. And so if you wouldn't mind just giving kind of like a quick synopsis of your new book that just dropped and I had a chance to read it. It's fantastic. Anyone that's listening needs to run out to the bookstore or on Amazon and, and purchase it now because I found so much value in this book. Joshua, thank you so much. It's, it's so kind. Uh, it matters a lot to me. And this book is, it's Lead with Faith, and it's an acronym. So F stands for free to be authentically you. A is affirmed in purpose. I is intentional to inspire others. T is transcending titles and embracing transformation. And H is leading with heart. So it's about wholehearted living and emotional intelligence and empathy. And so like this framework really could stand alone without a spiritual aspect, but that's not who I am. It's not who I was called to be. And clearly you know, a space that I need to be leading in is just helping people to be comfortable with this idea of faith. And so I think what I really, my intention in this message was to make sure that people understood what my faith has done for me. And I'm not pushing my thoughts on anybody, but that everybody is welcome to that table in the conversation. And I hope that it creates an opportunity for readers to really start to dive into themselves. So far, the feedback I get is that free to be you section is really freeing for people because I think especially when we get into leadership roles, we spend time thinking about who we are as a leader in that context, what type of a leader we are. And we're not really thinking about who we are on the inside and what lights us up, you know, and what our characteristics, our strengths 
are. We, we tend to look at life, and this is true scientifically, we have like a deficit model of thinking, right? So our our brains are wired toward the negative. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we start to do that to ourselves, we lead out of fear. And so the message is really just trying to help readers kind of overcome those things and to embrace who they are and to really forge forth in a very wholehearted, um, powerful, courageous way. Yeah. And I, I love that fact. And I think that's something that a lot of leaders deal with on a daily basis is judgment and then also comparison. Mm. Uh, I'm just curious if you've ever gone through that in your in your leadership journey. Oh my goodness. Yes. I, I struggled hard, uh, especially with, I think I can say this in a very healthy way. In the most recent position I was in, I felt like I was never going to be what that particular community wanted from me, or at least my perception of what they wanted. So I write about that and lead with faith. I'm a very, I'm a joyful, enthusiastic, energetic person. And I think that at the high school level, um, it's, it's a little hard for people to want to embrace that type of a personality right away. Eventually they did and they do, but man, for a couple of tough years and aside from myself as an individual, I understand with great perspective that it had a lot to do with everything other than me. But for the longest time, I internalized that. Mm-hmm. And Joe Sanfilippo, is a, he's a good friend of mine. And he actually shared with my class this summer saying that if people are struggling with you as the principal, a lot of times it's not you so much as like the third principal before you, yeah. you know? And, and I guess I just think that happens to us so much because you're just, you're so austere. You're uh, tend to be isolated and you just, you know, you only have your experience. So yeah, it's too easy to kind of get ground down around the edges in terms of who you are. You said you were at the elementary, middle school, and high school level. So that means that there were three different times that you had to enter a building as a new principal. <laughs> what were some strategies you used to win over your staff and, and get them to you know, buy into you as a leader and then also into your vision? Oh, wow. That's such a great question. First of all, you should know that my first principalship was bananas. I got hired on Labor Day weekend. And so I taught for two weeks and tried to like start a principalship for two weeks too. It was nuts. I never want to live that life again. Two weeks of, of real challenge. And so, you know, for me buying in that just, that's so relationship driven. And I was able to experience what you shouldn't do, which is when I was onboarded in my most recent, there's just the leadership above me just really wanted a lot of change, 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 move, move, move. And I just really think that by the time we kind of caught some ground, it was because we'd spend time learning about one another. And I spent very intentional time getting to know my staff, getting to know what they liked, getting to know their dreams, their families, uh, when they were struggling, just helping them listening and building that relationship. And that's how you get the buy-in is, you know, you really, for me and my personal opinion is you got to know who they are as people. And I feel so strongly about that. And I think too, like just knowing their personalities are the introverts or the extroverts, they process, how do they process information? They want the small details or the big picture. Mm -hmm. And you can't gain that unless you are strategic about getting to know your people. And so part of that is, I mean, I didn't do it perfectly, but one of the things I always did was have face-to-face 10-minute meetings at the beginning of a year, middle and end, Um, just because otherwise time can get so fast, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that for me is the best way to get people on with you is to get on with them, (laughs) get to know them as people. They are, they're humans. 
And most times the things that they're dealing with outside of school is affecting them on the campus. Without question. In your experience, which leadership skills were the most difficult to develop? Oh, I I think it's the stuff that I didn't love to do for me. I love the instruction. I get fired up. Give me an opportunity to remove a barrier for student learning, uh, for relationship building. I didn't always love the management, you know, like making sure that people uh, were to where they needed to be on time and uh, the duties, you know, assigning bus duty and lunch duty and all that stuff. Those are things, though, that are so critical because if you're not doing them, if you just kind of brush them aside, um, then you lose credibility because you're not consistent in your expectations. And so I don't know. It might be the easier and the low hanging fruit for a lot of people. For me, it was definitely stretching across the aisle and using my non-dominant hand. I have to continue to have those, you know, like standard expectations for those things that they didn't feel like they mattered as much to me, but I knew that they mattered to many people. Now in your role, you're going around, you're speaking, you're consulting. So as you're learning about different problems around the country, what do you believe is the largest barrier to the success of leaders and how do our listeners combat those barriers? I genuinely believe this to the core of my being, Joshua, as I believe one of the greatest challenges is a sense of isolation Mm -hmm. for principals and a sense of uh, workload and an unhealthy sense of what they can do with the boundaries between work and their lives. Um, I, I, I see it. I see people um, losing themselves as I did, you know, to the identity of the job. And in terms of how they can combat that, I just, I really do believe that it's intentional. It's, um, it's immersing yourself. It's just always looking, okay, so why do I feel drained today? Why is my energy gone? You know, there's, there are battles you're going to face. I mean, my goodness, if you haven't been behind the desk yet, you have no idea what you're in for. It's just the reality. You can't prepare fully for the, the load, um, that you're going to have on your plate until you're behind that desk. I, there's no practicum. There's no theory. There's no book you're going to read because until you're faced with the challenges of making that, you know, all the decisions plus the heavy hitter things like people's life, their trauma, their uh, stresses, their, their joys, all of that. So anyway, um, I just think for you as a leader, if you're aspiring, you're getting into it, it's, it's just making sure that you have, um, levers to pull, that you have circuit breakers in place, that you're taking time away from the work, that you are processing that stress in a healthy way, that you're not coping or ignoring, and that you are reaching out for support because it's critical. So let's talk about that because for those who are feeling like they're in isolation currently, what mm-hmm. are some things that they can do to find their community? I I cannot say enough about what Twitter has done for me. And I know that sounds a little trite at times, but it has connected me with some of my very best friends in adulthood. Um, Jessica Johnson specifically uh, has become one of my very best friends. And even in the last year, it's people like you, Joshua, you know, you get connected on Twitter and then you bring it deeper into somewhere like Voxer. And then you've got communities. You know, we have our edgy podcaster group that helps us grow yeah. consistently. And we don't have to just go and learn every task. We can reach out to another professional who has an idea or has a thought, has an expertise. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're not already connected, start there, deepen it through places like Boxer. It's a game changer. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And there are people out there craving the community just like you are. Yeah. I don't think people realize how many folks are out there on social media, just looking for other like-minded folks and to get that support. Yes. So let's talk about your growth in social media and where that 
kind of led to? Because you said you, you know, met one of your great friends and then that kind of led into you co-authoring a book, but what was the backstory with that and how did that help you grow as a leader, but then also help you grow to where you are today? I love the backstory on that because I work in a very tiny area, right? And so I was a high school principal and what's called the district assessment coordinator and like the, whatever, I just had so many different hats and it was ridiculous. And so I just, um, I think I got on Twitter when I was at a conference at, in a, like the part of our state's like five hours from me. So it was a big deal to get out of the building and go to a conference. And I got connected on Twitter and then I sort of used it, sort of didn't. I'll never forget it because Jessica started, she posted something about ACT and about how she was so glad she procrastinated. And I saw that. I just randomly saw that. And I said, I think as another district assessment coordinator, I know what you're talking about because they had a deadline, some massively ridiculous deadline that they pulled back on. And so she started the hashtag we DAC jokes. So it's Wisconsin DAC jokes. And that's how we connected. And I can never believe where that led to and what that's done because it was a space where I was like, drowning, absolutely drowning. And here I found this other woman who happens to have the same last name as me. We're not sisters. We did both grow up in Minnesota and moved to Wisconsin. But anyway, so from that, you know, just that common connection, that common stressor and those conversations that, that went. Uh, and from there, you know, I just continue to seek out people who are looking to grow and looking to support one another. And I went from consuming a lot to creating. And I'm, I'm just honestly grateful. I never would have expected to be a person writing blogs and writing books and creating opportunities for others to grow and learn through what I've gained. But that's what the social media connection has done for me. And I continue, I fully intend to start serving by creating other content that, you know, people can use because I think it, I've learned that it's kind of selfish to keep our lessons to ourselves. Yeah. How did you find your own voice and feel the confidence to be able to you know, start blogging and start doing other things like speaking and whatnot to, to share your message. I think it's interesting because that did happen in baby steps. And though people may look now and say, Oh, she's so confident. I was not, I was so nervous, but a couple of things happened for me. One is I met a man named Peter DeWitt. And if you don't know who he is, you got to get connected. I got to meet him face to face and he just shared with me such a freeing opportunity to realize that I'm not the only one who has, you know, student led walkouts on school grounds and <laughs> lawsuits pending and all these things that were happening in my life at the time. And, and he was just so gentle about it. And so I started reading what he was writing and his ed education week blog and just started to feel like, you know, I think I have some thoughts that I want to process. And it just took a few people to read it and to respond um, to help me feel like, okay, maybe this makes sense. And honestly, if I was writing at the beginning for just myself, it was so cathartic and therapeutic. And uh, after I'd press publish a few times, it became way less scary. So I think the more you do it, the more you realize that there's a common experience that people crave. You know, our brains are wired for story and we want that, you know, we want that from one another and it's healthy. It's good. It's good for us to tell our stories and it's good for us to hear one another. So I just think baby steps, uh, and, and then I'll tell you too, like writing a book, that's no joke. That was, I, to be able to do that with, with partners was amazing. So I think like a year and a half after that book's been published, Balance Like a Pirate, and here I am with another, it takes time and it takes baby steps, but you just have to keep taking each new step. And with the podcast, I'll never forget how my hand was shaking the first time I pressed publish ever. I'll never forget it, but you got to be brave enough 
to just try it and be consistent. And eventually you realize where your voice is, where it's needed. And I do believe that we all have a story that's needed. Most yeah. So Sarah, how can our listeners connect with you on social media? You can find me everywhere at, at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, S-A Johnson. And uh, for listeners, the S-A makes no sense at all, <laughs> but it's the first email that I had when I started my principalship and I stuck with it. So you can find me there and I have Sarah, S-A-Johnson.com and I am highly engaged. So if you connect with me, I will definitely be responding back. Yes, you definitely need to connect with Sarah. She's amazing. She's always providing advice, wisdom, insight, and I'm so honored that you're on the Aspire podcast. Thank you for having me, Joshua. I enjoy every conversation we ever have.